0: The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. With me is Chris Freund, co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town, and his colleague in London from 91 London, of course, John Stopford, head of Multi-Asset Income. Now, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me this morning during these rather turbulent and obviously very busy times. But every single morning when I wake up, I methodically make a list of what's been going on, because I lose track, as one does, So I had a jab the other day, yet another booster shot for... COVID, and so the global health crisis I was reminded of, the resultant supply chain disruption, raging inflation, central banks' reaction, recession talk, IMF warnings, UK chaos, John, that's where you come in, the, the rise of the right wing in certain European countries, and also the small matter of the war. John, can I start with you on this one, and particularly with the UK, because that does have ripple effects elsewhere. It must be quite disconcerting for you and your team at 91
1: Yeah, I mean, we're obviously global investors. And so it's less of an impact potentially on the portfolios we run. Obviously, there's a personal angle, you know, a lot of us live in the UK. I guess it's, you know, probably one of the biggest developments over the last year or so has been the significant rise in obviously tightening monetary policy and the rise in real interest rates. And I think, you know, that is a, a pretty profound change from the sort of post-GFC environment, it, it's understandable why central banks are, are tightening as aggressively as they are. But I, I think it's making you know, business as usual for governments much more problematic. And, and so if you go out on a limb, as the UK government did, and try and spend your way to growth at a time when investors are going to want higher compensation for taking risk, you know, it's pretty challenging and it's also at odds with the direction of travel of, of UK monetary policy. So it's it's a bit of a, a mess. Yes. Um, it adds to the instability. I think any government doing things vastly at odds with everyone else particularly in at times of market stress is is asking for trouble and the ripples probably continue for for some time
0: i think so too and chris excuse me i'm just going to stay with john on this very subject because i like analogies and i thought of a chameleon i was always fascinated by chameleons when i was a when i was a nipper and it's a living, breathing entity with, uh, you know, arms and legs. and But it's got these two eyes which seem to work independently of each other. It goes One goes in one direction, one goes in the other. And I think of the eyes as the Chancellor of the Exchequer, John, and the other one, the, the Bank of England Governor. It just seems to me that it's a little bit chaotic out there.
1: Yeah, I think, unfortunately, there's a bit of swivel-eyed lunary going on, to extend your analogy. So the Chancellor you know, it's the old economist joke, it's all very well in practice, but does it work in theory? They've got all these theories about how they create growth. The challenge is, you know, is the market going to let them proceed with those policies? And I think the answer probably is no, they're going to have to backtrack. And they're already doing that pretty dramatically. And the Bank of England hasn't covered itself in glory. So whereas the Fed, I think, has been pretty steadfast in adopting you know the need to tighten policy not not repeat the, the mistakes of the 1970s you know get policy tight uh, and, and slow the economy i think the bank of england's been vacillating for some time and i think communication has been pretty lackluster and that the latest comments from the governor andrew bailey is basically saying that they're going to stop supporting the sort of LDI market in three days' time, he didn't need to do that. He could have just said it's a temporary measure. We are looking to end it soon, but we'll obviously, you know, provide a backstop if it's if it's necessary. I think to put a time limit on it just, you know, gives the market crosshairs that they can direct at the UK. And I just I think it's a mistake. So I think policy has been badly managed on both sides. And yes, it's at odds. Monetary policy and fiscal policy are working against each other. And I, I think. The UK is not the powerhouse it used to be hmm. 150 years ago. And unfortunately, I think our policymakers sometimes behave as though it is. It, it's still got lots of institutional strengths, but it's got bad leadership at the moment and it's experimenting and it's not the time really to stand out from the crowd.
0: No, it's not. And it's not our job to talk about politics, but you just can't avoid them. Uh, Chris, you must be <clears> quite <throat> relieved that South Africa's, the attention on South Africa has been sort of pushed aside when there's so many problems elsewhere. What I want to ask you, Chris, is I, I don't know how much macro you bring into your decision making process as co-head of SA Equity and, and multi-asset, but it, it must have come to the fore recently because of global events and also South African events.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. We certainly um, bring it into the asset allocation decision-making process. Before, I, just before I get into that, I'll and quickly, I mean, just with respect to the, the UK discussion uh, John was having. Yeah. I mean, we've just looked at this in amazement, quite frankly. You know, you've we've seen currency and 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 bond price movements, which that sort of volatility is normally reserved historically for emerging markets, not for you know long-established developed market sovereigns. They've been behaving – I mean, prices there have been behaving as vol- – vol- uh, like, like emerging markets. So anyway, it's, I think John summed it up very well. But with respect to your question about macro, indeed, because I'm part of the um, sort of broader asset allocation team at 91 with John, and the sort of economic growth cycle forms an integral part of our sort of asset allocation thinking. As to where you are in the cycle and and what possible scenarios there are, on a sort of forward-looking basis. So there's no doubt about it that it does form part of our thinking. What are we currently thinking? You might sort of go to the next obvious iteration. So, as I read something this morning uh, from a guy called Ed Yardini, who's some of the research we pay for. You know, this this is a very widely expected recession, perhaps the most uh, sort of forecast recession that we've ever seen. The world and his dog is expecting certainly below trend growth in 2023 as a result of the sort of uh, uh, rapid interest rate hikes John was talking about around the world and possibly even negative GDP growth in, in parts of the world. So, so this is fairly well known by the market. Um, and the market, as you know, is a discounting forward-looking machine and it, some of that should have been in the price already. We're now debating, have been for a while, two major things, I guess. How deep is this slowdown and how long does it go for? And then secondly, when do we get possible sight of the peak in interest rates? We, the markets, have been wrong. I can think of it at least three times in the last 18 months as to when we thought rates were going to top out. But one day we'll be right. And um, – <laughs> The current, the current view is uh, rates will top are somewhere between four and a half and four seventy five, four point seven five percent in developed markets in the UK, US, etc. When that should that happen, and when that happens, I think the markets will have a sort of a mini relief rally. Uh, but potentially that should be a rally to be sold, not bought, uh, because we still have to go through a lot of the economic downswing before we can begin to discount the next upswing. But I'll leave it there and, and possibly, you know, pick up any other thing. Yes, questions. yes.
0: And we'll, we'll talk later about how your strategies have been affected by what the, the, the extraordinary market turmoil we've had over the last two and a half years. But John, how deep, Chris spoke about how deep it might be if there is going to be a global recession. I want to ask you now, how deep do you think it will be and how discounted is it in market prices at the moment?
1: It's a great question. I, I, I think... One of the issues. There are sort of two drivers for markets. I think so. If you're talking about equities, you've obviously got earnings, and then you've got the valuation you apply to those earnings. And I think the key driver of the sort of market derating we've seen this year is exactly that. It's it's a repricing of um, valuations or, or risk, rather than the market pricing in a significant fall in earnings yet. And so that's the challenge going forward. I think we could have a period where the market might re-rate a little bit. So we're getting close, I think, to a point where a lot is now priced in in terms of policy tightening. We're back to real interest rates on things like inflation-protected securities for the first time in a decade or so, materially positive real interest rates. So the market at the moment is trying to understand how far will the Fed really go. And the problem there is, the Fed is looking backwards. It's waiting for the data to give it the reason to stop raising rates. And, and the kind of things it's looking at tend to be lagging. So things like wages, unemployment, rents, they all tend to be slightly lagging data. And by the time they've changed or moved enough for the Fed to not tighten further, you know, the, the impact of the, that Fed tightening will be beginning to pass through the economy and will to actually take time to be fully felt. So the Fed is impacting the economy on a forward-looking basis but reacting to backward-looking data so the risk that the market is worrying about at the moment is do the fed just keep tightening and tightening and tightening is is four and a half or 4.75 the peak or might we go to five or five and a half or six because at the moment there's a lot of resilience being shown in the global economy particularly in the us where coming out of the pandemic people had rebuilt their balance sheets rebuilt their savings and so they can absorb And the U.S. also has a housing market that isn't particularly linked to short term interest rates. So, you know, there's a lot of resilience being shown currently, but that's because the sort of pass through of interest rates will take time. It'll basically be more fully felt next year. So I think there is a possibility that we're getting close to a point where the Fed will start to begin to sound a little bit less hawkish. And that might provide a bit of relief to equity. But the, the impact of their tightening is still to come. And We think we're probably going to be in a moderate recession by this time next year. And earnings still need to adjust to that. So you've got an interplay. Valuations are probably sold off enough. They might then start to try and improve a bit. But on the flip side, um, earnings still um, are likely to be revised lower.
0: And on that note, Chris, one of the pillars of 91's equity strategy is to look at earnings revisions. Now, what's happening in South Africa and in the geographies that you look at, are there a number of upward revisions, downward revisions, and how does that affect your strategy at the moment?
2: No, you're right, Lindsay. That's a key component of our equity stock picking strategy. And I must say, we were, we were debating that in this, morning's, this very morning's morning meeting, in that strangely enough, in South Africa, for many of the more consumer-facing businesses, we are not seeing at this stage, in, in any rate, the sort of ex- downgrades in future earnings expect- expectations that we would see, we would expect to see. For example, our banks analysts just came back from a big, uh, I think it was a UBS banks conference yesterday, and touched base with all the senior big banks. And they said, look, you know, the credit loss ratio, the sort of uh, people sort of not paying back the banks for houses or cars or something is is not deteriorating. And so we're not seeing any downward adjustments to earnings. Now, we, we still expect to see them in the future. One of the reasons postulated by as to why this is going on, why we're not seeing worse data at this stage, is that the informal sector in South Africa appears to be far larger and significantly under-recorded than most people think. And that, that is not suffering from, from higher rates um, in that part of the market. But generally, if you're a company that's seeing upward earnings revisions, you're quite a rare beast at the moment in South Africa. But this is part of the cycle, as John was saying, where we need to sort of wait. So in our process, sort of almost least bad wins, if I could say that, Lindsay, because if if you're getting flat earnings revisions, is the new upwards. So we have a fairly defensively postured portfolio at this stage. But I maintain that. Whilst we may well be in a sort of a mild recession uh, this time next year, I think, as I said, I think that's fairly – won't surprise too many people. By this time next year, I fully expect the markets to start to discount the next economic upcycle. And there is some sort of high-frequency data that you can sort of – the markets will use to preempt this and they won't wait for for sort of economic for for earnings revision to turn upwards to to go like hell. Um, some of the data that John's probably sick of uh, hearing me say this is <laughs> is on a week on a weekly basis. We get every Thursday we get the the initial jobless claims, the number of people filing for for unemployment insurance in the U.S. They head to the sort of the famous glass booth and they get their paycheck, they get their insurance uh, check, uh, so unemployment check. And that data, fairly real-time, gives you a fairly real-time look at the labor conditions in the U.S., as opposed to the official unemployment rate, which is, which is, as John mentioned, a, a real lagging indicator. So when we start to see the second derivative of that data set improving, in other words – Things are getting worse but at a slower rate. The market often then starts to anticipate a sort of a, a trough in earnings uh, conditions, in, in, in economic conditions, in advance of the trough actually happening and takes off like a rocket. And and I fully expect that before we sort of sit down for our Christmas turkey in 2023, the, the market will have had a, a very strong run um, in anticipation of the next upcycle. The only problem is fr- from which point – you know, will that run happen? And and I happen to think that it'll be from a lower point than than we are today. Well, I hope you're yeah. right. And I hope
0: you don't just, turn out to be a turkey as well uh, as well, uh, Chris, on on <laughs> that on, on that particular note. Thank you, thank well, you. It's, it's a pleasure. And oh, uh, yeah,
1: go on. So i was just going to add. I mean, I I completely agree with Chris. I, I think he's probably one or two steps ahead at the moment. The equity market typically troughs about six months before. The sort of turn in the data. If the turn in the data at the bottom, the trough, is sometime in the second half of next year, you know, we probably have a bit of a difficult time to go through over the next three to yeah, six months. Yeah, totally agree. And, totally and actually, agree. the the indicator he's talking about, Fed need to see that deteriorate first before <clears throat> they're going to step away from tightening policy, because at the moment their big concern is the labour market is too tight, and and. So service sector and wage inflation is going to remain higher than consistent with their target. And really, the only way to correct that is to create job losses, to create some slack in the labour market. And so that's their primary goal at the moment. And the danger is they have to tighten more than expected to achieve that outcome. They've talked about the likelihood of economic pain. Powell has sort of talked often recently about Paul Volcker, who was the Fed chairman who basically killed inflation in the late 70s by jacking up interest rates very dramatically. He even has talked about keeping at it. And that sort of echoes the autobiography title of Volcker. So there's a lot of messaging that basically the Fed are not ready to pivot until they see uh, some weakness in the labour market. Yes, they're ultimately the labour market will start to signal things are getting less bad at some point next year. And yes, that'll probably mark, or sometime around that point will be the trough in equities. But as, as Chris says, it's hard to feel entirely confident that we've seen the trough yet. And if, if history is a guide, the trough is
2: probably still to come. We actually need to see the data getting worse, Lindsay. You yeah. know, worse data, worsening data is what, is what the markets need right now.
0: Yes, well, we might get that in the short term, but I, I do agree because inflation is obviously the enemy because it, it leads to higher interest rates and the price of money is terribly important for risk asset classes that you've uh, both expertly been describing. I mean, I look at shipping rates. I mean, a container from China to Europe cost 14,000 US dollars uh, not that long ago. It's now halved to around about 7,000, to 7,000. That obviously takes a while to come through the system because prices have already been set, but then inflation will come down and ultimately what you two have um, been so optimistically describing will come to fruition. Just one other thing I want to say, and I I need you to both wrap up in your own unique ways. And John, I'll start with you. I cut my teeth in the late 1980s and uh, the, the 1987 crash of October the 19th It was morbidly enjoyable, I must say, but it was because it was a colonic irrigation for the market. What I'm seeing now is a rather vindictive bear market. Does it feel any different to you, John?
1: Absolutely. So just very on on your inflation point, I think you're entirely right about goods price inflation. Unfortunately, the Fed need to see that pass through to services and wages, and that will take time. And, And they're sort of not giving the, the inflation numbers the benefit of the doubt. So they keep, keep, they're going to keep tightening, and that's the issue for markets. But you're right, at some point, inflation is going to come down, rates can then come down, equity markets can reprice, growth can trough, et cetera. There, there's a, a rosy scenario in the future. It's just probably not there yet. And on the vindictive side of things, I just think, you know, we've got used to very generous policy. So super loose monetary policy, unfortunately, kept too loose coming out of, Uh, The pandemic, super loose fiscal policy of, of late, you know, all of that's been a heady cocktail that's pushed all asset prices up, bonds, equities, property, everything. And when you start to tighten the spigot aggressively, which is what the Fed and other central banks are doing, those valuations have to reset. And so, yes, it's vindictive in that it's been there's been very few places to hide. The only asset really that's gone up is dollar cash. And unfortunately, most of us don't have enough of that. Uh, everything else has been taken to the, the woodshed, including some of the safest assets like uh, high-quality government
2: bonds. Chris, your closing comments, please. Sure. Just two points. One is that this is not vindictive in the sense that we've, we, this is just a normal cycle, Lindsay. We have to go back all the way to 2002, 20-odd years ago, to get to the sort of a parallel of what we're seeing now. And that is just a bog-standard overheating economic cycle requiring central banks to sort of uh, uh, turn off the taps and to put on the brakes because capacity utilization in the labor market and in the factories is getting too strong. I mean, 2020, that was obviously a sudden shock bear market. uh, 2007-8 was what we call a financial recession driven by excess credit and a property bubble. And so we understand this type of recession. This 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 is what we know. We know how to sort of manage this recession, is what I'm saying. And I don't think it's been particularly vindictive. It's it's what the markets do, is they is they head for hills at the sign of a growth slowdown. They don't know whether it's going to be a sort of a pause that refreshes or it'll be something more sinister. So they're pricing pretty much the worst case scenario. And then they wait for it to get better and for that for the poor for the slowing growth to actually transpire. That's the first thing I would say. Second thing I'd say is that to wrap up is I feel a bit like the markets feel a bit like a captain of a ship on the the bar. And the captain's got his binoculars out and he's looking for two things through the sort of circles in his binoculars. One is, as John says, we're looking for the famous central bank pivot to sort of to start to be more obvious. Uh, Central bankers, uh, fed heads are likely to have a more even handed discourse public discourse than they have at the moment at the moment most of them are just saying nine out of ten times we've got to keep going quite soon they're going to say some of them are going to say well we probably need to have a more balanced nuanced approach and and that will ultimately reflect in it's time to actually stop raising rates so that's we're looking for the pivot through our binoculars the other thing we're looking for through our binoculars is is the whale we're looking for a dead whale to surface because, because 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 normally when rates are jacked up as fast as they have been this cycle, someone dies and you know the markets, whether it's sort of a, a large hedge fund, as we saw in the late 90s, uh, LTCM, or it's sort of emerging market currency somewhere that gets carried out to the woodshed and dies, whether it's You know, it's not going to be an African currency. They're too small to impact the markets. But you know where the Credit Suisse is the whale this time? So the markets are half looking for for sort of some financial instrument stroke company that's blown up. And that's sort of occupying our thinking to a degree. So that's my final point.
0: Very good, and very eloquently and um, rather romantically put when it comes to sailors and binoculars and things like that. All I can say is, both of you, keep your binoculars out and look out for the sirens drawing you onto the rocks of recession and everything else. Thank you so much for your time. Chris Freund is co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset, and John Stockford, head of Multi-Asset Income, both at 91 This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.